to At the Threshold, a podcast for ministry leaders during this new, unsettled season in the life of the church. We are your hosts, Ashley Alley Crawford and Shelley Petz. We're both clergy in the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, which is comprised of approximately a thousand churches in the states of Kansas and Nebraska. Shelley works with Clergy Faith and Wellness with the Great Plains Conference. And Ashley is the Clergy Recruitment and Development Coordinator, and we're sharing this from the Office of Clergy Excellence. Our focus here in At the Threshold is to host a conversation with and for clergy in order to describe what's happening, ask questions to help get us unstuck, and encourage the heart of pastors and leaders in this liminal time in which we find ourselves. Liminal may be a new word, but a new season calls for a new word. Liminal means a threshold from what we've always known to, well, we don't know just yet what life and ministry is becoming. Our goal here is to find a little light at the threshold. Well, we want to welcome everybody who is, is here joining us from the, the Great Plains Conference today. I'm Ashley Alley Crawford, and also leading our conversation today is the, the Reverend Dr. Shelley Pitts. We are both clergy here in the Great Plains and are hosting this series of conversations on behalf of the Office of Clergy Excellence as a way to navigate our new coronavirus-influenced reality. Well, we are in a liminal season, and liminal is a word you're probably hearing quite a bit uh, in various places. And it means a threshold um, with equal parts certainty or uncertainty and possibility. There definitely times feel def more uncertain or more hopeful. In our conversations, we're seeking to describe some of the dynamics that we're seeing in this season to identify some questions and some possibilities that are bubbling up for us. Ultimately, we, we hope today that you will leave with your heart encouraged in some way. Each time we gather, it is our hope that you'll glean one or two things to think about, to act upon, to pray through. And our topic today is to bring up three different experiences around death in this season. As United Methodists, we wanted to explore areas of our Wesleyan heritage that connect to our daily living in our current realities. John Wesley was passionate about healthcare and about education. Today, we will be exploring the area of healthcare and death in particular. Our following two conversations will look at education, Christian education in churches, and education in communities. John Wesley was a pastor, an educator, an amateur physician. One of the required classes that he took at Oxford to become clergy was medicine. He was fascinated by the human body, by life, by wellness. He conducted multiple experiments that led to his book, The Primitive Physic, a book of medical advice which looks and includes over 800 remedies for a multitude of ailments. Wesley emphasized the integration of physical and spiritual self, and this was foundational to his understanding that God cares about the whole person in life, in death, and life beyond death. 
Wesley explored the depth of the realities of dying. Author Christine Johnson states that John Wesley sought out the dying because he desired not only to help them in their final days, but he wanted to learn from those who are going through the dying process. Most of us have a somewhat complicated relationship with death, and for many it brings up fears or at least anxiety, but death is a major headline on our news, on every news, um, and it has been now for four months. And as Wesleyans, we do have this important heritage and witness uh, from our founder, John Wesley, and his own evolution of his, his relationship with death. You may remember that in his missionary days, he famously feared shipwreck in a storm. Um, he, he was convinced he was going to die on that ship that day, but he was drawn to the Moravians who sang while he witnessed his own uh, heart being in a place of despair. And then several years later, in his own self-described heartwarming experience, um, he was in worship with that same community, uh, which initiated for him a relinquish, relinquishing of the fear of death. And ultimately, he called his own experience of religion a religion of love, that is to make all who receive it enjoy God and themselves contented in their lives and crying out at death. Oh, grave, where, uh, in calm assurance, crying out at death in calm assurance, oh, grave, where is thy victory? And he demonstrated that through his own witness of his last recorded words, which are the best of all, God is with us. So we're going to explore some of the elements of, of, of these uh, things and in this, this, um, this experience of death um, today. And we, we do hope that ultimately it leads us to a place um, of, of that calm assurance that, that John, Wetley, John Wesley witnessed in his own death. Shelley, would, would you introduce for us the, the guest that we've invited to share today? Sure. It is my honor to introduce our panelists today from their wealth of experience in the respective fields and also because they are friends, colleagues, who have journeyed this last few months in ways that I can't even ever imagine. Dr. Steve Short is with us today. Dr. Short grew up in Western Kansas as an itinerant United Methodist pastor's son. He is the son of the late Reverend Mel and Gloria Short. He received his undergraduate degree from Southwestern College and attended medical school in Kirksville, Missouri. Among his many other studies and work, he also completed a pulmonary fellowship at the Center for Disease Control in Morgantown, West Virginia. Dr. Short is board certified in internal medicine, pulmonary medicine, sleep medicine, and critical care medicine. He lives in Manhattan, Kansas. During the heart of the COVID-19 crisis in New York, he went and served in Brooklyn at a hospital there. Today, he will be sharing with us out of his experiences and what he has learned from that and subsequent learnings. Reverend Shelley McNaughton-Lawrence is also with us today. She serves as the pastor of Aldersgate United Methodist Church in Olathe, Kansas. She has a personal encounter with the realities of COVID-19. She knows that COVID-19 has impacted all of us in the church with social distancing and the acquiring of masks and needing to ramp up quickly how we're going to live stream and do worship and do church during this time. However, the impact for her family 
is much more intimate than just these changes. Her mother, Luann McNaughton, contracted COVID-19 while a patient in the hospital. The reality of making medical decisions for her mother via phone calls with medical personnel, the inability to visit her during the 10 days while her mother was in the hospital, and saying goodbye through masks and gloves and gowns. She recognizes that while COVID-19 may be an inconvenience for many, it changed her family's life forever. And the Reverend Becky Johnson is with us today, Senior Staff Chaplain at the University of Kansas Health System. She has been a chaplain there for 10 years and has also been endorsed by the United Methodist Church as a healthcare chaplain and board certified chaplain with the Association of Professional Chaplains. She enjoys supporting new chaplains in their ministry, as well as helping to train and mentor chaplains with the clinical pastoral education program. We cannot thank the three of you enough for being with us today. And we want to begin by asking each of you the question, can you share one or two things that you have observed over the past four months that, that will help us in understanding our time together today? Dr. Short, we'd like to begin with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Um, I actually asked my wife to be present because um, she was part of the COVID response and, and supporting me. Kind of highlight, I cry a lot. So <laughs> my experience in, in Brooklyn was right after the, the crisis hit. And I was there a couple of weeks when um, into the, the pandemic when everybody I took care of um, was on a ventilator. I arrived at a hospital full of ventilators, 100 ventilators, um, and nine ICUs where they used to have one. I ended up coming to help, thinking I was going to relieve, and found out I was the only pulmonary critical care doctor there. And um, I've never never seen death like this. To see one or two in your ICU is, is, is I'm sure, challenging, but to see literally hundreds of people uh, on a ventilator, all of them at the end stage of what I call COVID brain, COVID lung, COVID disease that manifests in very bizarre ways, it was hard. But what I really saw a need for was a presence that um, families uh, needed. The isolation was devastating. Uh, there have been people in the unit for two weeks that had never seen their families. Families had not seen their loved ones. Uh, my, my strong belief in medicine over the last 35 years has been as a critical care doctor, one that um, comforts and shares um, my faith, but more importantly, um, offers uh, some kind of uh, understanding of love that we have with prayer. And I was very open about that in New York. And um, I felt like it had a huge influence on 
and the people, I think everybody I, I prayed with, which I tried to pray with all the patients' families, just yeah, gave them um, a sigh of relief knowing that there's a caring person there. Lawrence, we turn to you. In the midst of your pain, is there one or thing, two things that you can share with us that you have observed over these last four months? I just want to say this is my mom, and her sign was made at her church, and it says, I am wonderfully made. Isn't that a wonderful picture? That was my mom two, uh, three weeks before she died. Um, and so I, I share that so that there's a face to what COVID can do and, and uh, the life she um, lived and, and, and continues to live, I believe, through us as her children. You know, the thing that we, um, we were in the position where um, mom went in because she had a UTI and they tested her the day she went in and she was negative. And um, as she was, um, she was cognitively impaired because of the UTI and so every conversation and decision medically had to be made with, through me because I was her medical power of attorney. And so um, one of the hardest parts for us was trying to figure out, trying to keep her away from COVID in the hospital and then to have her infected in the hospital um, is kind of every worst nightmare that you have. Um, and so uh, we really struggled with once the diagnosis had been made at day 10 when she was in the hospital and she tested positive. Um, then our question was, do we tell anybody? Because there's kind of this, um, and it's a real fear of, of people knowing that you had COVID come very close. And um, we decided as a family that we were going to talk about it, that we weren't going to feel shame about it. Um, and maybe that's not the right word, but you know, we're so afraid, but if you, if you don't speak of things, it becomes kind of a Harry Potter, you know, he who will not be named. We're, we're going to talk about it. And so when mom died from COVID, we listed as the cause of death, COVID-19. Um, and the funeral director wasn't so sure about that. He, he had some discomfort, which was surprising to me, but, um, you know, we just decided to speak truth about what our experience had been. And, um, and I, I know there were a lot of people who were, um, we, we self-quarantined 14 day, for 14 days after my mom's death because we were allowed to go in at the end to see her. Um, and um, there's a lot I could say about that experience that might come up later. I would say the other thing we learned is that um, it is really hard. We are hardwired as Christians and people in church community to hug each other, to call each other, to hold hands, to sing hymns together. And um, to bring a casserole. <laughs> and, um, you know, a lot of that was taken off the table. So when all of that is stripped away, um, how do we continue to grieve and support each other? And um, I, I don't have any great answers or insights, but it's an issue that um, has certainly uh, been interesting to me. I never wanted to be a grief spokesperson, but we've been through true tra tragic deaths in my family. My father died in a um, Another driver was impaired uh, with drugs, and he died from that accident. Uh, and then my mother died from COVID-19. And so um, that's what you learn. That's what life hands you, and that's what you deal with. So to speak truth, I guess. Thank you so much. 
Reverend Johnson, thank you for joining us from work today at the hospital. What can you share with us about one or two things that you have observed from your work as well? Okay. Yeah, I'll just sort of piggyback off of what Shelley said that her statements, I'll, I'll say life is fragile. That's one thing. I'm the trauma chaplain, so I've learned that over and over again. And we realize, you know, we don't know when our time might be. But um, with relation to the this time of COVID, I, I wish they would have called it physical distancing rather than social distancing. That is my pet peeve right now because we are social creatures. We want to be in communication and connection with others. And there's safe ways as we're doing right now that we can be. So I wish they would have called it physical distancing because that's what we really are supposed to be doing. But I have seen so many creative ways that people have connected during this time. I'll share a couple of them. We have a, a big blue KU outside um, the cafeteria and one patient who's building her um, um, room was above that. She was in a motorcycle accident and, and lost a leg and all of her friends figured out they could, they would be able to see her from that. She would be able to see them from that window. So they all went down there and had signs out and were, you know, at a certain time, you know, had informed her nurse and the nurse got her close to the window. So she was able to see them. And I also experienced uh, you know, just so many creative ways that people communicated when they couldn't. One man was in the surgical ICU and he was directing his wife up to the top of a parking garage. And then he, he said, stop there, now get out. And <laughs> so she got out and the daughter got out and I'm, I'm in his room and just kind of listening to this conversation. And she's the wife is looking all over and he finally says, look for the lady in orange, that's me. And I'm waving my arms back and forth, bright orange. And so she spots him. And then um, I step out and go to the next room so they can have some private conversation. And the nurses and I are crying in the next room because the wife gets out binoculars and the daughter gets out a sign. And it's like, you know, we are such people that want to be connected and to sh share our love with each other. Those are just two creative examples I've observed. Thank you all for sharing um, those those stories. Uh, pull at pull at our hearts and our minds, and um, and we know that, um, that that what's happening right now in our world, and what's happening even um, as we kind of illuminate these things in our conversation. This is this is important, and this is at the heart of who we are, made in God's image, um, with capacity to to create, capacity to grieve, capacity to love. Um, and, and capacity for pain too. So we're just grateful for the, the witnesses that you've already shared even this morning. Well, Dr. Short, I want to go back to you. Um, and also I'm a crier too. So, um, so I might be, if, if you, if you cry, that's all right. I, I have a philosophy. No one cries alone. <laughs> so I'll join you here in that, but um, I, you've illuminated some, some things about um, just even about the spiritual needs of those in the medical community. So I'm curious if you'd share share with us uh, in your both your observation here in Kansas, but then also um, your observation at a um, in a in a in the in the heat of it. Um, what are some of the spiritual needs of those in the medical community uh, during this time? Well, um, 
if you're in the heat of the battle, and like I was in Brooklyn, I wouldn't say I'm in the heat of the battle in Manhattan, but you know, anytime Brooklyn or Manhattan, Kansas, you're dealing with death, and you know that's not uncommon for me to deal with death in critical care. Um, to lose someone is hard, and um, I think as a medical provider, you have a vested interest in seeing them get better. And I think collectively, as a group in Brooklyn, um, it was uh, everybody in the unit uh, as providers had a vested interest in all the patients. And when one of them died, it was like a, a collected grief. Uh, everybody wasn't just your patient. Or one nurse didn't have just one patient. We kind of all shared and. Uh, I, th I think it's hard to process grief sometimes when there's so much of it. And I feel uh, the needs right now are uh, a need to understand the naturalness of, of dying and reality that what you do is all you can do. And, and it's still, as long as you've done the best you can, you have to realize you couldn't do more. You just have to realize that. And I think some care providers can't let go of the fact that they've lost someone. Uh, it's important to um, nurture their, their loss in a way that it may be not be their fault. It's just the reality of life. And especially with COVID, there's no control because we don't understand it. We don't have a treatment. Um, it's kind of luck of the draw who lives and doesn't. Um, so I, I think providers, uh, and I'm collectively saying all providers, respiratory therapists, um, nurses, you know, anybody who's vested in caring for people, I think there's a grief. And yeah. they, um, they have to fill that vacuum with love and feel, fill it with, uh, you know, an understanding. Thanks. Shelly, we're, we're not hearing you. <laughs> Back now? Okay, thank you, sorry. Reverend Johnson, we thank you for your work both in churches and in the hospital. And so we'd like to ask you, from your experience, how can churches or pastors support the spiritual needs of those serving in the medical communities? Because many churches have individuals who are serving in such ways. How can, how can those um, who are not in the heart of it, in the um, be able to to help support those who are. Okay, I, I had a couple of thoughts on that. Um, you know, first of all, you can pray. You know, simply you know have your get your congregation or individually pray for the um, the medical teams. You know, all the different people. We 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 all often we're praying for. You know, you hear heard a lot of talk about the doctors and nurses, but I the respiratory therapists were right there in the midst of it. And um, so, you know, just the whole team is important to pray for them. We had a lot of people, and I, I thought of, you know, maybe even just sending cards, especially I'm thinking of the smaller hospitals. You know, we at, here at KU, we, we got a lot of community support. We, they were feeding us and, you know, providing us with um, all sorts of goodies. Um, 
you know, different different corporations were. But the smaller hospitals, I think, within the states of Kansas and Nebraska, would be important for them to to, to reach out to your local hospital and see if there are any needs that that they might individually have or ways that you can support them, the, the medical providers. And then um, I also thought that it, it would be important to um, you know receive referrals. And I, I've kind of been doing that for Methodist clergy, um, especially you know some that are friends of mine. And, and then I've actually, and the, and the Church of the Resurrection representative, you know, because you know they have such a strong um, visitation program, so I've just said, okay, let me know when someone's here. And as an endorsed United Methodist chaplain, I'm supposed to stay in connection. So I have people that are contacting me with referrals and saying, can you go visit so and so? And I'm happy to do that. And in most cases, you know, have the time to be able to do that. And I can go there is you know in in place of that clergy person. Um, and also is uh, as a representative of, of the United Methodist Church. That's great. That's it's good to to hear some kind of tangible ways that um, that are that that hit um, with the with the community that we're that we seek to to care for. So that's, that's great. Uh, well, Shelley McNaughton Lawrence, I'm um, this. You have identified this at a personal level here, and so um, while maybe other folks, other pastors, aren't necessarily navigating the the same kind of personal loss you had, others are navigating different kinds of personal losses. What what advice do you have for pastors who may have their own losses during this season, where where grief is really the prevailing um, kind of dynamic that that's going on around us? I mean, it, it seems to me that right now grief is like is in the oxygen because I mean, just everything that we're grieving from graduations changing to how we celebrate holidays to you see my grandson behind me who we didn't see for quite a while because of all this. Those are real griefs. And I think um, very often when people hear our story, they say, oh, well, I've got nothing to complain about is kind of the response compared to what you've been through. And while I appreciate that thought, um, I think really grief is grief and, and there are intensities of it, but you have to acknowledge it. You know, we grieve, miss the things that didn't happen. We're, I mean, we are in communal grief as, as just a society um, because our lives have been significantly impacted by something that we have no control over. And if anything, we love to be in control. And, and this has been a reminder of how little control we actually have. And so um, what's become important for me, and, and, and as I've walked through a couple of seasons of grief with myself and others, is I began to really think about personal rituals that I needed to create that help ground my spiritual life and just help me find my compass, my north. And so for me, that was um, reading the Psalms, I'm reading Nowen and Wounded Healer have been important for me, lighting a candle. Um, and here, here's the thing, I've had two significant deaths in this way. And the first time I felt compelled to write, like I needed to write. There were things I needed to say and I published a blog at that time. And with my mother's death, I have not felt that at all. I have felt like I needed to keep it really small and tiny and, and, and very close. And, and my point is, Grief is not a one-size-fits-all. There's not five stages. They don't go in consecutive order. 
grief is is this you know blah. and and um i you you know the articles that say things not to say to people while they're grieving read those <laughs> and, if, and if somebody says that to you um i've had to say and and well i've been at this church a while and and they know me pretty well i i felt free to say you know that's not very helpful i don't think god needed another angel and and um i mean the hard part is attending to and I, I'll, I'll be honest, the conference um, supported me so well. Um, my mother died. A few weeks later, my husband went into the hospital, you know, and there'd just been pile on. And be self-aware enough to know, I cannot minister right now. I cannot care for the people that have been instruct, in, in, entrusted to me in a way that is healthy for me or for them. And I, the conference supported me beautifully and let me take four weeks off. I'm only my, on my 10th day back. I've preached one Sunday. And so I'm still, you know, I, I've confessed. I sit in a Zoom meeting now and I say, I don't remember. I have, you know, I can't, there's too many things. So help me. And, and so there is a vulnerability that we as pastors have to be willing to acknowledge that we're not superhuman. I think we have to acknowledge grief in all its forms. Um, and realize we're not going to get it right. Um, we just sent a letter out about our, our we're going to worship outside together for the first time. And the first line of the letter is something like, this is my first pandemic. <laughs> Something's wrong, um, but we're going to keep trying. So, you know, go with us on this journey as we try to figure this out. Um, I, I, I guess the two things I'd say is give yourself so much grace. Don't expect too much. There were literally days when I didn't get out of bed. And I knew there were things I should do, but I just, you know, that's what it feels like. And and seek medical assistance if you need it or um, help to sleep or help with depression. Those are important things. Um, I, I just want to say in general, even outside of grief, I've been in ministry 33 years. I started at the age of 24. Yeah, I'm old. I've been here a long time. And the only way you do that is to have a community that's already in place before the tragedy happens. And that is covenant support groups. That is accountability groups. Those are people you drink coffee with and people that you can just put your hair down with and say all the things you hope no one ever repeats. <laughs> um, so that's my sermon about grief. I hope that was helpful. Very helpful. Thank you. Real humility about what you're, what you've experienced and what you've learned. So thank you, Shelly. That's great. to give everyone here a chance um, to respond and to check in with one another as well. We're going to take a few moments to break you up um, into breakout rooms. Um, and Heather Klinger will uh, put you into groups in just a moment with just a few other people. Um, and we have a couple of questions that we'll invite you um, to, to consider. Um, and those will be posted in the chat um, box soon. But the questions we'll invite you to consider is, how does what you are hearing from our panelists impact you? What questions does this conversation bring to mind? And also, have you done a funeral or attended a funeral? Or what other kinds of grief work have you done and been a part of during this season? What was that like for you? For the family experiencing the loss? For your congregation? So we'll invite you to go into the breakout rooms for about 10 minutes and then we'll bring you back together.
panelists, thank you for staying with us in this conversation. We just finished with Reverend Minot Launch sharing a little bit about advice and what keeps her going during this challenging season. And I'd like to continue with that and ask you, Dr. Short, what are the things that keep you going after all that you have seen and all that you've experienced so much death? What keeps you going during this challenging season? Um, I think what happened after Hope or during my, my time there was, um, as many of you may be a, been a participant of, I, I told my wife when I left I was going to journal my experience because I needed to reflect and wanted to have memory of it. And as you know, I draw, uh, I don't know if you know, I draw, I draw art. And so I, I like to draw and I like to uh, write uh, you know, my feelings. So while I was gone, I, I started to, to kind of journal, but it ended up becoming a Facebook journal. And um, every day I draw pictures and post scripture in the morning after we did devotionals and Midday, I draw people and things that happened to me. And then by the end of the day, I draw. When I came back, um, I had this huge following on Facebook. Um, and for me, it was, um, it was really, um, it was traumatic. I had to uh, kind of get my bearings, get my compass, you know. And so I continued to uh, reflect. And so currently, ever since I came back, I've been doing a daily devotional on Facebook. And I try to draw a book, or try to draw a picture, which I do anyway, and post it with my devotional. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a portion of the upper room scripture that's on that day. And I just put it into my, my feed and, and then I just write my thoughts. Um, my father did uh, daily devotionals for 20 years, and he had a huge following. And I don't think I'm following in his footsteps, but in some ways I am. And I feel um, it's helping me uh, reflect and uh, process still. So it's necessary for me to um, still unwind the moments and uh, the tragedy and um, I find it personally rewarding and uh, necessary. Reverend Johnson, what keeps you going as well? Can I hear you? Thank you. Johnson, can you hear me now? Yes. Thank you. And what keeps you going? Okay. I well, I'm, I, several things I thought of. Um, I'm an advocate for exercise. And in different periods of my life, I, I exercise in the mornings. But what I do now, now that the kids are out of the house and I have more free, you know, Becky time, I do my exercising after work and before I get home. So then I just dump everything, all those you know, difficult situations that I encountered during the day, I get rid of those on my walk or my bike ride. 
And you'll see me in 100 degree weather or two degree weather. I'm out there doing something because I have to. That's one of my, the ways I get rid of my stress. Um, I have great colleagues, um, female colleagues that I really talk to, and we 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 will debrief with each other. You know, after difficult situations that we've experienced, or you know, people we've cared for, and we can't. Um, you know, before we get to the next one, we have to kind of unload that tough, hard situation. And then, um, well, I used to go to movies, but, you know, we can't do that anymore. So I find ways to connect, you know, just turn off the news. You know, I've got to turn that off because it's too much. I'm, I'm living it every day here. We get our update daily updates and um, I'm, I'm living it every day here. So I don't need to hear more about it when I go home. Thank you. You you all offer such rich um, rich advice there, perspective. Well, um, I think that as we as we think about this season, um, it is a season prevailing where sort of the prevailing thing is grief, and yet um, in the midst of it, um, I hear through each of you kind of a, a deep theological rooting and grounding that reminds you that um, that there is more to the story. Um, and that, um, that that's sort of the, the compelling thing that gets us out and, and gets us going again. And so, um, you know, we, as Shelley McNaughton Lawrence, as you said, we've never been in a pandemic before and um, we don't sort of know we're navigating how, how this works and, and how to respond in this season. Um, but we all have experienced seasons of death that, um, you know, we, we, that root for, to, to new life, to resurrection, um, and just this idea of new possibilities. So I'm curious if you've been able to kind of discern or, or um, even if what you have is sort of a hope for new possibilities, what are you sensing um, about a new thing uh, that might maybe could emerge uh, after this season or um, in your own personal life or even more broadly? Shelly McNaughton-Lawrence, would you, would you share? Sorry, <laughs> sorry, didn't mean to. Oh yeah, there's a camera. Um, um, uh, I don't know that I'm there yet. Um, um, I'm still, you know, we're eight weeks out from mom's death. Um, and so, you know, what, what, I, what I can say is, so I took, you know, there was the four weeks where mom was in and, and then four weeks I took off. And anyway, I was out of church probably six, six to eight weeks. And I had a staff that kept going. And so in many ways, um, I'm grateful for them. They, they kept everything moving. Um, they're tired. I had a different kind of break, but I know there is real exhaustion on the uh, clergy who have had to become uh, media experts and all these things. And, and I think that, um, you know, I think we're all, with my own staff, I'm, I'm, I'm saying we've got to find a way to still be church. We can't the emergency approach any longer where the office is shut down and nothing's happening. We've got to find some ways to be open. And so my hope is that, you know, we're having outdoor worship for the first time next Sunday. Um, we're going to do some lawn, show some movies on the lawn. Um, you know, just all the things you can do socially distanced while the weather's still good. Because if we're still doing lockdowns in November, December, January, we're going to need to have laid in some memories over the summer. <laughs> um, my hope, I, I, the hope I see 
hopefully, and I guess it, it's still a concern. Um, maybe people will start believing science. Um, it's real and we need to wear masks. And, you know, we're, we're talking about that, that whole, and for the church right now to be kind of caught right there where we have people who really believe it's conspiracy theory and we don't need to listen to the World Health Organization or the CDC or anybody else, Dr. Fauci, you know. So I think we need to find ways to encourage pastors that even when it's hard to stand up and say, we need to do this for the health of the least of these, that's what we're called to do as Christians. And maybe that helps us clarify our mission even better when we have to do that in really clear ways. So I can keep grandma alive because we're not choosing to let grandma die because we don't wear a mask. And, and I can be very direct on that point, but um, there you go. Thank you. That's good. Dr. Short. I would ask you to rephrase the question. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Are there any new possibilities that, um, that or new connections, um, new things that are happening as a result of what has been a, a crisis uh, for us in this way? I think um, in some ways, uh, I hope this has opened the door to you know, the reality that we're going to be like this for a long time and maybe indefinitely um, in some ways, but also um, allow people to realize that their, their, their inner core of who they are is not just TV and going to the movies and going out to eat, um, but maybe it's really a, a time to inner reflect in who you are in your own life in terms of spirit and around people who you love and how do you, how do you come across and, um, and my, my focus has been to be positive and to, to express a positive um, outlook on every moment of your life because it is, that is your moment, that's your life. And, um, you know, don't dwell on the negative and don't dwell on, you know, the conspiracy theory, be, be grounded in, in rational thought and rational uh, understanding and, and to make that your mantra, just be who you are and, and be um, mindful that, you know, you, you have to protect yourself as well as others, but not to be negative. And I'm just tired of negative. Yeah, thank you. That's a it's a clear. This is a season of clarity for folks, and um, and some are are definitely seeing seeing the way clearly to to move to to a, a higher level here. So thank you, Becky. What new possibilities do you experience personally or professionally as a result of this season? Yes, I. This is where I'd like to share also sh share some personally as well as uh, professionally, but mm -hmm. as a um, chaplain working in the health system, we saw tremendous growth in telemedicine. I don't think that's going to go away. People have loved it for the most part once they got figured out the technology part. And I think physicians have loved it. I, I've talked to a lot of physicians um, who said we did in two weeks, we did two years of work. Or Wait, we did two years of work in two weeks. I mean, they really sped it up here at KU quickly to get, you know, we're doing like, I, 
I think that we've done, I don't know, tens of thousands, 50,000 plus telemedicine um, conversations. And people enjoy that, you know, who, and it's more fun than going and sitting in a doctor's office for 30, 40 minutes. If you can be in your home, comfort of your home and, and have a lot of the same care. So I think that that is going to stay. And Shelly, that's where your, doc, your, your father was so instrumental. Dr. Robert Cox is so instrumental in helping us um, in the state of Kansas. Um, I'm believing that our visitor policies may change in health centers. You know, there are many times when I was at a, you know, a, a patient might have 15, 20 people in their room. I don't think that's going to come back anymore. You know, I think we're going to be much more cautious about who can, who can come into the room, you know, who we're going to allow to have into the hospital. It's, yes, it's hard for families, but I think it's best for the, the future of, you know, everybody we're working with. And I, I agree with Dr. Short. I believe we're going to um, see the value. What we used to value before is is changing. I know my value of time with family and friends is much more impactful now. You know, I just want to be able to um, um, be there for family and friends and be, to be able to connect with them. Hear you. People in from the breakout rooms. I'm curious if there's just a brief little thing that you all might offer, um, just as a word of encouragement to to the pastor to to, to pastors. Is there just a, a brief little um, yeah word that? that you might just say, say to encourage them in the work that they're doing in their churches and communities. I say to, to take care of yourself, you know, make sure you take some time for yourself. You're doing all sorts of different um, ways of doing ministry right now. And it's, it can be exhausting. I know I've told staff here, I said, you know what, we're, we, some days we're just going to do the bare minimum that we can to survive through this. And that's okay. But as long as you're taking good care of yourself and helping others, I think that's beneficial. I'd say that um, there's a hunger and um, now I think, I think the hunger has always been there, but it's not been fed. And um, maybe this is opening us up to the reality that there is a need to, to, to feed the caregivers as well as the suffering in a way that we maybe have been doing, but maybe we can do it better and we become aware of that and we're more open to it. And, I hope the caregivers, as well as the pastors, um, feel open to share um, in a way they haven't before. Thank you. Yeah, I would say um, don't compare yourself 
with other people and how they're handling the pandemic. Um, it's very easy to look at another pastor's Facebook postings or events and say, man, I'm not doing nearly what they're doing. Um, I, I think it's important to say, what is needful of my community? And, and do that. Um, looking to other churches or bigger or smaller or or what they're doing in Tennessee. I mean, just be, know your people. And I, I would say drill deeper on personal relationship through phone calls. I made a, a commitment when this all started um, to write a personal note to every member of the church. Now, that was a big bar. I have 300 plus members. I wrote a handwritten note to all 300 of them. And and it was just, I'm thinking of you. And, and, and um, I, I'll pat myself on the back. I got it done. But, but the point was... People wrote back. They didn't call. They wrote letters back to me. Like, how are you, Pastor? And boy, we miss seeing you. Now, the point is, think, think in some new ways. I'm doing um, office hours on the lawn right now from 9 to 11, three days a week. And I have three, four chairs spaced six feet apart. And um, I wipe the chairs down. I have become very popular. It's like my own little cafe out there. Um, and, and my point is, we have a shady spot. We have a sign out there that says the pastor is in. I don't know. My point is, I needed to connect with my people that that I've been assigned to. And they need to connect to you. And however we can do that, try to find some ways to do that. And if you can organize a drive-by parade for somebody, do it. Because it, it, I had a drive-by parade with over 100 cars after mom died. And signs. And my neighbor's like, what is going on? And it was so beautiful and lovely and um, find ways to care for each other. And I'm such a believer in writing notes. If somebody does something great, write them a note and say, thank you. I mean, that that's the kind of thing that, and take care of yourself. However, that is really, you know. I would also mention that um, I think when you talk about healthcare, you know, it's doctors and nurses, but there's, AIDS and RT, respiratory therapists, physical therapists, dietitians, cooks, and you can expand upon you know the necessary workers at the grocery store or behind the counter, and and you know people that are making the country run right now. I think we all need to say a prayer and thank you. Thank you. Ask. If anyone does have a question for any of our panelists, invite you to type that into the chat, either to everyone or to Ashley or myself, and we'll see if we have a chance to um, to check in with our panelists, because we know that sometimes some of you have deep questions that will be helpful for the conversation as well. Kelly, can I share one thing? Sure, thank you. Um, I think uh, if people are... Um, churches are looking for something to do to help the community in the future, it might be helpful to um, come up with some type of grief support groups or uh, resources, because it seems like we're, we're in a time of, you know, global crisis and um, it's going to be lasting for a while. We, and this grief, we're, we're not having the, being able to have, um, you know, express our grief right now, but it will in the future, we, we're going to need to do that. If And so I think that would be a helpful um, program or 
ministry for churches to be able to implement in their communities, no matter the size. Yeah, our church is started last year using grief share. Yeah, yeah. And, and when the pandemic started, they then made all of their um, resources available online. So we turned our grief share into an online group. Not the same, but um, we have found it to be a good tool. The theology is not 100% Wesleyan or United Methodist, and yet it's the best I've found that is doable for not just a, a grief specialist to lead. Thank you. Those are some really good, tangible uh, suggestions. I appreciate that. And we will be sharing um, some of those resources and maybe some others on this episode page. And so you can you can get something there. Um, Jada Hodgson says that, that she's created a grief support group at Plum Creek um, and has prepared a workshop on creating your own. Um, and so she, she would be a resource in creating that. Thank you, Jada. That's wonderful to know. Um, and I'd love to love to hear more about that myself. So um, Phil Sloat says that even before COVID, his community experienced a number of traumas and he's considering um, a study on the shack to deal with the issues of loss. And so um, that's a, it's a, good, a good way to enter into the, to that conversation. So thank you. Well, um, we have had a, had a rich conversation, and I do think we could probably go on um, individually and, and as a group have, have lots of rich conversation. And so it just feels like a privilege today to have been able to be a part of, of this gathering of people who otherwise wouldn't be able to gather. I'm so grateful. I, I really appreciate the, the, the panelists as you've shared from a place of vulnerability and a place of humility. Um, and you all have pointed us to things that are real and essential. Um, and during this time of being uh, physically disconnected from others, I think that is something that we, um, that not only we are, are hungry for, um, but as Dr. Short reminds us, the hunger has always been there. Um, but this is a time where maybe some people are able to name that hunger. And we, um, as, as pastors, we as Christians, um, we, we, we can help um, hopefully point, point people to the one who is with us despite, um, despite our, our grief and our fear and our, our pain. So I, I want to just, um, just hold that, that, that gratitude up to the three of you who are doing this, who, who have been leading this conversation here with us today. I do want to let us know about um, the next conversation that we are going to have um, as on Thursday, Ju July 30th at, I'm sorry, on Thursday, July 16th at 10.30 a.m., we'll be starting a two-part conversation about another one of kind of the, the Wesleyan foundational pieces that we mentioned at the beginning. Shelly mentioned about how Wesley had a focus on, on healthcare um, and and medicine and health, and and also on education um, as well. And we're gonna we're, we're are gonna be having the first of two conversations about that. And um, 
And this, this first conversation about education is going to approach the angle of how churches specifically are shaping the spiritual lives. Um, so the, the Christian education of the kids in their community. And we have an excellent group lined up to share from their experiences. Reverend Melissa Gepford, who's the Intergenerational Ministries Coordinator for the conference, has her pulse on what's going on here in the Great Plains, as well as what's going on around the country. And then Mona Candia, the Children's Ministry Coordinator at Grace UMC in Olathe, and then Madison Stumbaugh, the Children's Ministry Coordinator at Grace UMC in Winfield, Kansas, are going to be joining as well. And they both have been um, navigating this in their churches um, beautifully, and so we're grateful to have uh, these three folks uh, share about their experiences and, and some maybe some plans that are kind of brewing for the fall. So you can register for these conversations and then find more resources at www.greatplainsumc.org slash at hyphen the hyphen threshold. Um, and so you'll be able to even get these extra resources that we've mentioned here today. our time together today, we would like to end with a moment of silence, to give thanks for the lives of those who have gone before us, to sit in silence with those who grieve, to sit in silence with those who work tirelessly for those in the midst of the pandemic. Will you join me for a moment of silence as we close together today? We thank our panelists for making a difference because of what they offer, because of what they have experienced, because of what is yet to come. As we have gathered here, may God bless our conversation. May God be with us to encourage us. And may God take us by the hand as we walk into the continual unknown. joining us in this series about ministry in liminal time. You can find links to join future conversations at greatplainsumc.org slash clergy resources or listen to them as a podcast at greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. This is a challenging season full of confusion and uncertainty and we want to shed a little light to help you discern the way through. Thank you for joining us at The Threshold.